0: Welcome to Disability, Inc. I'm Colin Montgomery, family educator at Include NYC. New York City has a longstanding school segregation problem that runs across school programs, age ranges, racial, and identity groups, and which heavily affects students with disabilities and their families. Students, parents, and advocates are all making news headlines today as they call for meaningful integration across the city's schools. Today's guest, Matt Gonzalez, director of the School Diversity Project at New York Appleseed, will help us better understand the scope of New York City's school segregation problem, the promising work that's happening to meaningfully integrate our schools, and the inclusion of students with disabilities in this work. Welcome, Matt. Thank you so much for joining us on Disability, Inc. Thanks for having me. It's absolutely our pleasure. You have a deep connection to the work of meaningful integration in public schools. Can you give us some background on yourself and how you got involved in this work?
1: Yeah, so, um, you know, my, my day job at New York Appleseed is to advocate for integrated schools and integrated communities, so I get paid to do this work, um, but, you know, to, towards a more personal light, um, you know, as, as I've kind of navigated through my higher education career and reflected on my experience as a, as a young person growing up in Los Angeles... Um, you know, I attended segregated schools. Um, I taught in segregated schools. And uh, as I was navigating in and out of higher education and graduate school, my, my focus really started to kind of center on, on thinking of broader educational equity issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and for some reason, I think it was really a combination of listening to Nicole Hannah Jones' uh, podcasts and, her, and reading her writing and, and thinking really about the historical context. Of why schools are inequitable, mm-hmm. um, and really segregation continued to kind of be this 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 centerpiece uh, for me, and so um,
0: and not just for you, for all of
1: us, right? Well, yeah, it's it's yeah. right there
0: everywhere. I mean, yeah. Nicole Anna Jones's
1: <laughs> pieces right, hopefully, right. um, demonstrate that right. And so, you know, as I was really kind of reflecting on my experience as a teacher, as as a as a student in Los Angeles, you know, I started to really think like, what what did what did it mean for me to go to segregated schools? Like, what what was the the kind of what was the impact on my on my experience and, mm. and, and my navigating through my educational experience and uh, what was the impact on teaching in segregated schools to the young people that I worked with every day? And so as I yeah. kind of navigated my own life and understanding and, and kind of constructing my philosophy of education, mm. I think my, my, my thought process really started to think about the the need to disrupt this this historic, Um, immorality and and kind of function that we've allowed, that this country is allowed to happen. And Mm. so, um, you know, that's really kind of where I've centered myself in the work. And so as I left graduate school, I had written pretty much every paper that I could write about desegregation and integration. I'd been Mm. running around the city, listening to the conversations that were happening uh, just around like rezonings or, or other like really modest integration plans that were happening. And so that, um, you know, as I was leaving graduate school, I found this, this posting for this job with New York Appleseed, and it was looking for someone who has an organizing background, someone who has an educator background, and someone who knows about policy. And I was like, those are all, those wow. things, are, <laughs> those are me, that, yeah. that's me. And so we could all be so lucky. <laughs> yeah, and so I, 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 I was the first one to apply for the job, and wow. hassled my current boss now pretty much until um, until he kept called me in for an interview, and, you know, now I've, it's been two and a half years that I've been in this position, and um, it's 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 reframed and reshaped my experiences in my life in a really beautiful way.
0: That's that's amazing. Um, I I just want to make sure all our listeners are clear on you said. When you went to graduate school, that was here in New York, right?
1: Yeah, so I was a, a special education teacher in Los Angeles before okay. moving to New York. I had zero interest in moving to the East Coast. I wanted to wanted to stay in, in LA or at least California. <laughs> Understandable. <laughs> um, but you know, I I was denied by some of my my choices um, for graduate school in Los Angeles or in California, and I got accepted into Teachers College at Columbia. Oh. So I felt like that was uh, that was wor- a worthy cause to move myself. Um, across the country, and um, it's been, I was only supposed to be here for a year, and then I was going to go back and teach, and then I was supposed to just be here for two years, and supposed to go back and teach, and then now my credentials expired in California, and it's been about four and a half years, and I don't really see myself going back to California for, for you know, for a permanent status anytime soon. Uh, I really love it here, and I've gotten connected so well with the community, and um, that's, yeah,
0: that's for sure. I mean, I was gonna say if we could be selfish, we t- definitely don't want you to be leaving New York. <laughs> no, I'm, soon. I'm gonna
1: be here for the time being. Yeah. until you guys
0: run me out of town. <laughs> and we'll we'll make it abundantly clear. Matt will make it abundantly clear all the work he's doing and all the connections he's made in New York. Um, so <laughs> so good, so good to hear all of that. Um, and I just wanted to also unpack. You know, you said that you went to segregated schools. Right. Do you mind saying a little bit about that? Yeah. This so is in, in California. Yeah.
1: So I grew up in a community called Inglewood, California. It's uh, historically Had had been a historically Black and Latinx community, but has now actually gentrified dramatically. Mm -hmm. um, Where so you know I was attending K through eight schools in that community, and you know I did not even know that there was a different world outside of kind of being being the majority in a school. So my schools were um, predominantly Black and Latinx, uh, predominantly low income students. And um, that was just the norm for me, and so I didn't understand there was a difference in educational opportunities that were existing. Um, but kind of when I was going to high school, my family basically couldn't afford to live in the neighborhood because that was when the wave of gentrification was happening. So we moved, you know, to an apartment across town, and um, I ended up going to school about a an hour away from where I lived, uh, basically being bused into a community called Westchester. Uh, this is in Los Angeles, not uh, not upstate, but actually a very similar vibe. It's a predominantly white community. Okay. Um, it is a kind of test case in what happens after what happened after desegregation efforts in the 60s and 50s. And so the public schools are 90% today, still to this day, mm-hmm. um, are 90%, 95% black and Latinx and low-income students. The community itself is probably 60, 70 percent white. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was bused into a community. And, and so in high school, I got to experience um, what I would call kind of a desegregated experience. I don't know if I'd call it integrated and we can talk a little about the sure. differences on those. Yeah. But um, So I, I went to a school that had a fairly diverse kind of range of racial, ethnic, economic Um, um, identities. Um, I had a group of, I to this day have a very diverse group of friends from really all over the, all over the map on, on where you could kind of identify um, the the layers of diversity. And so Mm -hmm. that experience for me, you know, obviously it's still important to me um, that, that, that ability to kind of create um, kind of, plurality amongst your friends and, um, you know, to, to kind of build solidarity, you know, despite our differences in identity and where we grew up. And so that was a really beautiful and rich experience for me. Um, definitely entering that community created a, a range of opportunities that I wouldn't have had in my home community. Um, however, when we would, you know, we'd all hang out during lunch and kind of our break time and, yeah. and it was beautiful. Yeah. Um, but when we leave and go back to our classes and we didn't really even understand this until I got moved into an AP class eventually, but we, we were basically you know segregated internally in the school and so the AP classes were super tracked and so i think my junior year i got someone was like hey you're smart man you should go yeah. in this AP class and i walk, walked in there i was like oh that's where all my white friends are yeah. and it was just like a you know i was one of maybe two or three kids of color in this AP class and so that for me was just like awkward and i didn't understand it and then, you know as i you know really reflected back as my experience as a teacher and then really thinking about what segregation means not just like separating bodies but separating people from resources and opportunities, um, that really constantly kind of came back. And so I think that that experience which while again like it was beautiful and, 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 and enriching for me yeah um, I think it's really shaped why and how I think about the work that I do today to ensure that it you know integration is not just about moving kids around yeah. it's about moving moving policy it's about moving resources moving pedagogy and curriculum and so you know my framing and the work that I'm doing is really trying to ensure that we're not committing those same errors that I thought were committed against me and my friends.
0: Yeah that's so well said. Um, and I just want to emphasize, you know, this idea of proximity to economic or racial privilege, giving, granting you access to a better schooling, right? So being able to have access to going to a, uh, the type of high school you went to in Westchester was the only real way you could seemingly access those AP courses. It seems like that's how, that, how it's been set up and that's such a big problematic part of why our schools continue to be unequal and, and segregated racially, you know, class-wise, and across academics as well. Um, and, and just furthermore, I mean, everything you're sharing is just so instructive about how an issue that has such personal resonance, I mean, you're literally reflecting on your experience um, as a young man of color going to school, growing up, right? How that can just propel you moving forward in, in, in terms of course of study, for graduate school, and for career decisions.
1: Right, so I mean, I think that you know, I, I, I often talk with a lot of my friends who I went to graduate school with. And, you know, we I went to a predominantly white institution yeah. for graduate school. That yeah. wasn't my undergraduate experience. I was part of kind of the majority at, at my state university in Los Angeles. But mm-hmm. being, you know, one of the few students of color who were kind of plucked out of our spaces for this, like, special opportunity, for me, like, I, I had personal, I and still have personal frustrations and tensions with what that means. Because, you know, I feel like, these these kind of institutions are set up for a few of us to make it, so that that we kind of reinforce and justify the system. Say, oh well, you know, you know, all you need to do is work hard like Matt, or do this yeah. like Matt, or do this like yeah. that person, um, which erases all of the resources and opportunities that and the mentorship that helped me navigate my myself to this place. I didn't just come out the womb like an yeah. activist <laughs> and an educator and thinking this way, like people shaped me. And, and sure. I think if, if young people are, are getting the message that all you got to do is just work hard and you'll get there without thinking about what are the various pieces that need to be in place to support you. Yeah. Um, I think it, it sets up this kind of this, this situation where young people are going to work hard and they're going to get pessimistic about the institutions that, that serve them because they're going to be like, well, I worked hard yet, you know, these barriers existed. And so I think that's yeah. part of the, the larger kind of you know reason that why this work is important for me because you know again it's not just about sitting black and brown kids next to white kids sitting poor kids next to rich kids it's really about um a couple things really creating educational opportunities for all kids in every single school that they exist in yeah. But then like a larger democratic ideal that we actually cannot continue to, to operate under segregated systems because I think that's unsustainable. And it's yeah. actually, uh, I think it's been dangerous to our democracy. And I think where we're, our country is at today, I think is a complete reflection of, of the fact that we've been so segregated for so long. Yeah, absolutely. Um,
0: so just pivoting over to Appleseed. Can you just tell us a bit more about what your kind of day job You said so you get paid to basically do this advocacy. So what does yeah. that look like, I think? Yeah, I'll...
1: so I do probably like a thousand different things a day, but the way I try to kind of frame my job and talk about it in a like cohesive way is really like two buckets, and, and one is really thinking about... Um, Writing policy, you know the the construction of segregation in in New York City through housing policy, through school policy, was intentionally written through policy, and so for us, yeah. it's really about identifying and dismantling that infrastructure of policy that exists. And so, um, you know, it's it's really I'm a, I consider myself a policy nerd, and so I, I really think about how do we use public policy to create and dismantle systems of oppression. And sorry, not to to create systems of oppression, but to create systems of liberation uh, while dismantling systems of oppression. And so the, you know, one piece of it is really working with, um, you know, I think sitting on the school diversity advisory group, making recommendations to the mayor and the chancellor Um, Working directly with superintendents across New York City's 32 school districts to help them design district-wide integration policies, working with individual principals who want to design an integration admissions policy as well, and then working with the state Um, education department to help them facilitate and design funding opportunities and incentives for districts to to do this work in New York. And then I I sit on the board, the steering committee for the National Coalition on School Diversity, which is a (laughs) national organization focused on diverse schools. And so, you know, really trying to elevate the work that we're doing in New York City um, to the national level and really, you know, trying to bring the narratives and uh, perspectives that the advocacy community in New York, the, through our students, through our uh, our, yeah. our other groups, uh, ACID, um, you know, trying to elevate those conversations to the top, you know, to the to the to the, the, the full country, and then the other side of that, which is not not disconnected, but um, I'm an organizer, and I've been an organizer and advocate since I was 16, um, and so really making sure that that policy that we're writing, the the you know the approach to integration change that we want to make is completely and directly informed by young people by parents, by communities yeah. who have been most directly impacted, and so trying to build a bridge between um, policy and community so that um, those most directly impacted by oppression are the ones who yeah. are the designers of liberation.
0: And then that gets at the whole democratic mission you were talking about right. before. I mean, we right. see that disconnect constantly, um, not just in the space of education, anything that impacts us in terms of policy, right? Policymakers are thinking about, oh, how do we design this kind of system, but it's without the input of those who are going to be most affected by yeah, it. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So um, one one of the most, uh, I think, important books I read while I was doing my teaching credential in, in Los Angeles was a book called *Pedagogy of the Oppressed* by yeah. Paulo Freire. Yeah, um, any educators listening should know this book. If you haven't read it, you should read it. It's, it's a good probably, one. I, I it's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's I read it pretty much every summer, and I, yeah. I buy it. I I bought it like probably like ten times because I keep giving it away to people. I'm like, you need to read this. Yeah. Um. And so, just one of the like beautiful gems that is present in that book is this idea that. Um, those, uh, experiencing oppression have to be the designers of their own liberation. Like those who are not, ex- you know, the, the, the oppressor cannot be the, 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 one who is freeing the oppressed. And so I think I've taken that philosophy really close to heart. And I don't, I don't even know if I would consider myself educationally oppressed at this moment. Like I have a yeah. graduate degree from an Ivy league university. So. Yeah. I think still like even I'm somewhat disconnected from the from the experience as well, even though I lived it and, and kind sure. of made it to this pl- place. And so that's really why I do a lot of work with students from the organization Integrate NYC I'm their policy coach. And so, you know, part of the job there is just making sure that because they have the solutions to this problem. They've identified why this why segregation is like the history of segregation what it means today what mm. are the manifestations mm. they have solutions my job is basically to help them translate those solutions into public policy so that they can advocate to the mayor to the Chancellor that's incredible and making sure that bridges is, is yeah. connected and so that's you know for me is trying to honor kind of Paulo Freire's ideology there is is, is that
0: yeah uh, I mean one thing that just is jumping through my head as you're saying this is just how intentional you are just in terms of honoring that framework I mean constantly revisiting it and thinking about how you can better apply it to your practice and the intentionality of this work going across all these levels. I mean, city, state, and federal. Um, it's so important to really get this message across. I, I just want to do a little bit of defining um, sure. some of these organizations. So you talked about the School Diversity Advisory Group. Right. I'm not going to pretend like I don't know what that is. That's, uh, <laughs> so so this was um, a group... Convened by the mayor, right? And and what were they? What were you guys tasked to do?
1: Yeah. So in two thousand seventeen, um, the Department of Education and Mayor de Blasio released a diversity plan um, called Equity and Excellence: Diversity in New York City Schools. You can Google that; it's online. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know there was a number of uh, policy recommendations uh, in that report. Actually, only thirteen, and then some kind of articulation of goals that the city wanted to set. And so you know, for advocates, we 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 kind of took that that report as this was a good first step. Yeah. We thought that some of the goals were kind of weak and some of the policy ideas were not comprehensive enough.
0: And it notoriously never even mentions the word segregation. That right?
1: also yeah. um, exists pretty heavily in there. And that you know, I think that I I, I I obviously understand the intention and the importance of being of using language intentionally, but I think we yeah. spent so much energy on like, are we using segregation, integration, and whether or not like focus so much on the words used versus like, what's the impact of policy. And so okay. I want to like build a bridge between those two things. Cause I think it's important to be intentional, but I also think, um, you know, saying the word segregation is different than having a policy that actually dismantles, de- you know, and desegregates. So sure. I want to make sure those two things happen together. And Absolutely. so part of, uh, part of that plan was to convene a school diversity advisory group Um, It's about 40 40 plus individuals, advocates, students, parents, uh, folks from across the spectrum of, of perspectives. Our, our goal was to basically evaluate the city's diversity plan, look at the goals, decide mm-hmm. whether or not those were the right goals, and then actually write further and more comprehensive recommendations for the city, which we just did and released in February. We thought the goals were not ambitious enough, so we articulated new goals. Um, we didn't think the report articulated enough, like, uh, enough of a comprehensive vision for integration, so we did that. Um, and laid out, um, laid out a framework for what we think the city needs to be doing. Um, and so we've been working for about a year and a half and are actually have been asked by the new chancellor. This was, we were convened under former chancellor for mm-hmm. um and now Chancellor Carranza is, has asked us to continue our work moving forward and we're working on another report focused on screens and gifted and talented programs
0: oh that's great so this is a really living process absolutely
1: yeah and it's it's been um i talked to a bunch of people um who'd been on like different commissions and committees with the city before and so they gave me a lot of you know a lot of like horror stories about these experiences yeah and um you know so i was like okay let me walk into this super skeptical but um the you know the the group was chaired by maya wiley from the new school jose calderon from the hispanic federation hazel dukes from the naacp yeah. uh, rick callenberg from the century foundation amy shin from um from cuny mm-hmm. and their their leadership i think really helped us convene a really dynamic and diverse group of people and Um, We we had some kind of moments of tension and arguments, but I think overall the process of developing and and kind of constructing this report was was really really awesome and enriching for me and so I'm I'm actually really excited to continue working with with the group and excited every time I get to see these folks because yeah. we have really good relationships now
0: good that's really heartening and that's yeah. hopefully that's how it should be that's what it needs <laughs> to be moving forward yeah absolutely um, and you also mentioned um, ACE-IT, so that's the Alliance for School Integration yes. and Desegregation so
1: this is uh, this is a citywide advocacy group that was um, founded by myself and Professor David Kirkland at NYU. You, um in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a kind of a convening of folks that were actually being convened by Brad Lander and Richie Torres, uh, city council members, who've been, you know, really kind of persistent advocates for integration for many years, mm-hmm. but they didn't feel like they were the right Folks to be leading a community-based group, and so they okay. reached out to myself and Professor Kirkland, and we just started hosting these meetings, and really just were trying to create space yeah. to bring people together. Because what I what I identified was that there, were, you know, there are many people who cared about integration. Um, there was not a consistent definition of what we all meant uh, about integration. Yeah, there moving was n- targets. Right, 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 and everyone had a different idea of what they were thinking. Some folks thought we were busing kids around the city. some yeah. people thought we were doing control choice policies, and so you know the idea was really just to create a hub for us to um, be a resource to communities um, but also to to, you know to really define and and get a consistent idea of what we meant by integration and so ACID is um, you know today it started off as like 40 people that I was emailing and now our list is like about a thousand people yeah Um, they're not you know we have monthly meetings that we host across the city we've been on almost every borough besides Staten Island and that's on on the on the way next but your meetings are great I've
0: Full disclosure, I've yes, been to one yes, you've been, You guys had a policy um, briefing as well last year, right? June. Right. That so really we
1: big. right after the city released its diversity plan, we were like, yeah, we could probably write something better, and so yeah. we convened our policy working group to basically spend about a year writing a comprehensive integration plan, and so we released that last June, um, uh, like conspicuously, like uh, it was a few days. Our our plan, our our date to release the plan was was in mid June or early June. Like somehow a couple of days before that, that was when the mayor released his uh, specialized high school proposal, oh, wow. which kind of overshadowed <laughs> pretty much everything we were doing. Yeah, it's still overshadowing us. It's overshadowed a lot of things. Yeah, yeah but um, that you know that proposal that we released. Actually, much of what we wrote, and probably because, like I said, on the advisory group, but much of what we wrote has found its way into the School Diversity Advisory Group's report. And so there's a lot of alignment with the advocacy community that has kind of been thinking about this and what the School Diversity Advisory Group has, has yeah. shaped. And so I'm excited about that and to see where that's going to take us.
0: And I'm sure all listeners can tell that we're both very excited. We're talking with <laughs> smiles on our face. We want to make sure that, you know, we can digest all of this incredible work and, and movement. It really sounds really organic. It sounds like there's a lot of momentum, excuse me, happening um, in this push for meaningful school integration. But let's back up for a moment. Could you just bring us back to kind of brass tacks about segregation? Uh, So can you help us get a sense of why there is a segregation problem specifically in New York City? I mean, we know that this is a national problem, but specifically in New York, what does that look like? How does it work?
1: Yeah, so I mean, I think it actually, New York is, is reflective of the national problem and the, the kind of historical problem that mm-hmm. exists. And so the American public education system was designed and premised off of segregation. And so it was, it was designed to segregate black Um, Latinx and indigenous students from educational opportunities that were that were basically not you know not not designed for us Mm -hmm. Um, and so that that really I think is the foundation of the public school system Um, you know there's been you know everyone knows about the Brown versus Board of Education case um, a very historic Supreme Court case that you know articulated that segregation in schools was unconstitutional Um, however that that case you know really didn't articulate when and how schools were gonna be desegregated. There are a couple court cases after that, um, that kind of up until the 70s were really affirmatively supporting local integration initiatives. But then basically between 1970 and 1990, um, uh, s- basic, uh, a number of court cases were brought to the Supreme Court that started mm-hmm. to kind of undermine Um, efforts towards integration. And so um, most of the, when people think of segregation, they think of the South. And so the South actually has more desegregated schools in the North now. And that's because the North was insulated from integration uh, for many different reasons. And so why New York City is, is the third most segregated city in the country, and New York State is the number one most segregated city in the country, is because of a couple really clear reasons. One is just there's a history of residential segregation that was facilitated by racist housing policy that policy still um, isn't explicit today but isn't very much in, in a lot of uh, ways operating and, and reinforcing separated uh, communities yeah. that policy was reinforced historically okay. by racist educational policy and admissions policies that not only separated you know ensured that students of color would be separated from white students excuse me but also was also reinforced by the unequal distribution of resources to mm-hmm. schools serving students of color, and so this is really you know where we're at today is is a function of where New York City has um, you know where politicians, where where private actors, where you know white parents have decided that their their young people, their kids are not going to be in schools with students of color, um, and had. Influence governments, influ- influence funding of schools to ensure that um, yeah. students of color are receiving inequitable opportunities, and so that's really why we're here. Um, the kind of the the residual experience of of admissions policies manifest in gifted and talented programs, selective admissions policies like screens those those programs today were designed in the 70s to basically attract white families uh, from leaving the system Mm. Um, and and i think it's created a sense of entitlement that um, white and affluent families deserve something better than everyone else and i think every everyone should deserve an, an exceptional educational experience and so those programs today gifted and talented programs screened uh screened admissions programs are completely underrepresentative of the city. They're serving low numbers of students, of uh, uh, students of color. students serving low numbers of uh, low-income students. Mm-hmm. They they basically <clears throat> serve like little to zero students with disabilities yep. or English language learners. And so these tools, these are tools of oppression used to exclude students of color. And so that's really why we're here today, um, and why I think this this issue is so important.
0: Yeah, and that sounds heavy, maybe if that's the first time you're hearing it, you know, like these are tools of oppression, but functionally that's what happens, right? That's the effect these policies create. They create separate and unequal schools, um, a kind of city divide among itself, which leads to underperforming schools, disproportionately lower outcomes for certain students, and, and that's as an on a net level oppressive right right so I'm just you know sometimes we hear the word oppression and we think that's oh you're, you're just kind of using this word uh, casually but really when we're thinking about the net effect it really does rise to that level Absolutely. Um, and I wanted to jump off of um, what you were talking about you know students who are <coughs> experiencing vulnerability right? right like low-income students students of color students who face housing insecurity um, you know, here at INCLUDE we're primarily working with families of young people with disabilities, right? So I wanted to paint a little bit of the picture um, of students with disabilities within our school system. So um, just in terms of quick statistics, the total number of students with with disabilities in the city schools is over 200,000 students. So in a School system of 1.1 million students, there's over 200,000 students uh, between ages 5 and 21 because you can remain in high school up until age 21. So that's 20% of our school-age student population um, is students with disabilities. That includes all of our geographic school districts, districts 1 through 32, as well as District 75, which is uh, the citywide um, specialized programs for students with disabilities. Um, There's furthermore a convergence of students with disabilities and segregation, right? If we're thinking by the numbers, um, students of color make up 80% of students with disabilities, so 80% of that 200,000 students. Um, But also, 30% of our students with disabilities, that's about 60 out of the 200,000 students, spend 60% of their school day or more in settings that are separate from their general education peers, right? So there's a kind of de facto segregation that occurs within school walls, and that's kind of what you were talking about, where on paper you could have a diverse student body, mm. right? It's racially representative of what the city's um, you know, um, population of kids looks like, but if the students are in fact in separate settings and there's not real inclusion, then you're creating um, segregation in fact, right? So just taking these statistics together very quickly, you'll recognize that students with, with, with disabilities are Number one, a very important part of the student population in New York City. I mean, 200,000 students is larger than the Houston public school system, right? Houston's the fourth biggest city in the right. country. That's that's unbelievable. The first time I saw that, um, students with disabilities are more likely to be in schools already segregated by race and class, right? Um, and students with disabilities are facing compounded levels of segregation because of this um, segregation or you know removal um, from general education. Or, or inclusion classrooms and being in more restrictive settings. So just wanted to also connect it to to students with disabilities. It's certainly, there's certainly a big, big connection there. Uh, But moving back to your work, (laughs) just going to get brighter and brighter here. Uh, What are the guiding principles of desegregation or integration that lead your advocacy and policy work?
1: Yeah. Thanks, and so thanks for kind of uh, adding that layer of the conversation um, around integration and desegregation, because I think what you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm probably you know guilty of this, um, even being as former special education teacher, um, is it, not always you know having blind spots about uh, what we're talking about and making sure that our conversations are are really being intersectional. So. Part, you know, I think that's really kind of one of the guiding principles is ensuring that our work is intersectional and that it's it's really elevating um, and and, and thinking different, you know, comprehensively about who's impacted by these issues. And so really quickly, I want to just kind of talk about what I mean between integration desegregation. Yeah. We talk about those words interchangeably, but desegregation is actually the breaking down of structural barriers, mm-hmm. the removal of, of admissions policies that are, that are racist in classes. Integration for me is really about the work that happens inside of the school. it's mm-hmm. really about building inclusive spaces, uh, making sure curriculum is, is culturally competent and resources are distributed equitably and I think it's important to kind of differentiate those two things because yeah. uh, they, they operate in different spaces and require different levels of work and so uh, the the kind of function of, of achieving integration for us at New York Appleseed is really aligned with the students from Integrate NYC. Um, they've articulated a framework called the five R's of real integration. You can check it out at IntegrateNYC.org. Um, and they've really talked about five impact areas. One is uh, about race and enrollment, and that's really about building equitable enrollment policies, not just that focus on race, but class, diversity, uh, uh, diversity of, of ability, of, of language status, mm-hmm. of, of all the range, of diversity that we can think of in New York. Second piece is really about resources and ensuring that all schools are equitably funded to the letter of the law, which they currently aren't now and they haven't been for the last 12 years. Um, Third piece is about relationships and ensuring that the, the integration is happening once we're in the same building, so building ethnic studies curriculum, making sure we have culturally competent teachers and curricula and pedagogical practices um, and inclusive spaces. Um, The fourth piece is really about discipline. It's ensuring that we're disrupting the school to prison pipeline and not disproportionately impacting students of color, students with disabilities, students with any vulnerabilities um, through racist discipline policies and and punitive discipline policies. And the last piece is really about achieving uh, what was lost after the Brown decision, which was the mass firing of black teachers in the Mm. South, for which this country has never recouped. And so our young people really believe that integration policy needs to ensure that we're recruiting and retaining um, educators, school leaders of color. And so those five pieces are what we're like committed to doing. Um, it seems like a pie in the sky idea, but those five um, impact areas have been designed in the District 15 integration plan that was released last September. Mm-hmm. Um, the School Diversity Advisory Group's report that we just released used that 5R framework to premise our work. And so oh, um, the, the, the voices of students have really shaped public policy and that's really important for, for our work. And so that's kind of how I define the work and make sure that um, it's moving forward.
0: That's a really, really helpful framework. Um, and just in terms of how you're going about speaking with communities, could you just quickly speak about, you know, what that kind of looks like as you're going across the city? We know there's segregation on a, on a vast level. Sure. So when you're connecting with communities, how does that, how's that look?
1: Yeah, I mean, so I think when I enter a community, um, obviously, I don't just walk into a community and, and think that, like, I'm going to tell everyone what the issue is. So yeah. it's really <laughs> about starting off listening to listening to people. And okay. this may not be, you know, people saying, hey, come in, like, let's talk about Integration in Bed-Stuy, for instance. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, maybe it's a conversation about restorative justice or or one one of the entry points um, of the five R's. And so, you know, I I enter a community ready to listen, Mm -hmm. Um, particularly communities of color are going to have tended to have um, trauma with with integration and experiences around desegregation efforts because I don't think that they were done effectively in the past. I think it was about importing black and brown kids into white spaces where they were not welcome and so I think it's about hearing and honoring that that pain that history but also trying to to share a new vision that our young people have articulated and so um, it's either working with the community education councils which are the parent leadership groups working with the superintendents working with local activists um, but making sure that you know any work that I'm doing with the community is hand in hand with the community members like again so that I'm not kind of plucking, popping in and being like, hey, let me, I got all the solutions because I don't. I actually think the community members have the solutions, but I have ideas around frameworks and and, and ways to navigate policy that I think are important.
0: So you're going to help facilitate organic conversations happening at a community.
1: Yeah, I mean, so in District 16, Mm -hmm. I've been working with the superintendent, uh, which is Mm -hmm. Bedsty, working with the superintendent and the community for a couple of years now. And they really asked you know, the superintendent invited me to come and help convene some conversations about diversity and um you know those first conversations were super intense and people were like, Who is this dude? And I was like, I'm just me and like let's talk about this and let me hear what you have to say. And so I think what I've you know, part of it is is coming in and helping facilitate conversations. Um other parts of it look like really helping, you know, as communities have been a little bit more you know, on the cutting edge of thinking about this work, helping them design and write yeah. integration policy. So it depends on where a community is is at. But I think all thirty-two geographic community school districts in New York City have a, have a conversation about integration to have. Maybe it's not racial or economic integration, but it's definitely um, ensuring that students with disabilities, English language learners, um, any students are all students are represented uh, represented in all schools, and all schools are held accountable for serving all students.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's that's. An unbelievably <laughs> laudable mission to pursue um, and, and it's the right one um, but I also want to point out some of the the, the data that's really been bearing out right so um, you have been working with three of the 32 school districts right. in terms of helping them with their diversity and admissions plans right so it's district 1 3 and 15 um, but you've really gotten more schools to kind of buy into this buy into this um,
1: Movie, yeah, I mean, right? I don't, I don't think I can take credit for okay. any, right, for any enough. of this. Really, there's but, a lot of actors. Yeah, <laughs> um, but so you know, uh, there, you know, when I started this job two and a half years ago, there were eight individual schools mm-hmm. with integration plans like that was it mm-hmm. um, and at today there are three community school districts two of which I've worked closely with um, and help them design those plans 1 3 & 15 um, and then there are 14 more who are working with the state who are you know by the end of this year will have designed some integration policy wow. um, and then the city just released a $2 million grant program to fund 10 more districts. And so if I'm doing the math right in my head, um, by the end of this year, or, you know, toward in the next two years, we could have like 25 of the 32 community school districts with integration plans. If you would have told me that, like that concept two years ago, I would have like laughed in your face. And so, you know, obviously, you know, my having someone devoted to this work, you know, kind of, I would say probably 24 hours a day mm-hmm. even when I try to sleep but yeah. having a devoted advocate to this issue I think has helped to lead and elevate the conversation in many ways but I work with many wonderful actors and community members to get this all done
0: and and on that note um,
1: I want to think about some of the really key
0: actors who are students right um, so can you just speak a little bit about I mean you already mentioned uh, the work of Integrate NYC uh, but how are these students getting involved in the work because it seems like some of them have already been organizing right
1: right yeah so I mean Integrate NYC definitely predates all the cool work work that I've been doing. So mm-hmm. they've been established out of the South Bronx, out of a, out of an advisory class about five years ago oh, wow. um, through this teacher, Sarah Camacholi, who's uh, now actually in law school right now, actually be- becoming our, our lawyer, who's going to be, be our next generation lawyer of desegregation. Very but cool. <laughs> um, she really basically started this advisory class after the UCLA um, civil rights report came out, kind of articulating that New York was the most segregated. Um, and so these young people were really motivated by this report and by mm-hmm. this idea. Idea of segregation mm-hmm. and so they started convening connecting with different students and and, and one of the young people um, decided that they wanted to like you know actually she was trying some young woman called a uh, name Heba Jamal um, was wanting to start a student government at her school and her principal said no so she came to Sarah oh, and was like well, let's start a citywide youth council and now we have a, a citywide youth council that meets once a month Brings about 100 plus students from all over the city. We have kids from every borough that attend. Yeah. Um, and and it, at those meetings, you know, the student leaders basically facilitate conversations. It's an authentically youth-led. I'm a yeah. coach, so I'm just kind of a yeah. an advisor on whatever they need. And have been a to a resource. meeting before. Yeah. It's
0: really amazing. They
1: run the show. And so part of it is really... Introducing the problem for the community of students, and then and then really elevating those voices of all those you know hundreds of kids that come uh, to help filter into solutions. And so the five R's yep. started off as three R's, yep. and because we. Br- created more space for more voices, um, students coming from the South Bronx were like, well, we need to talk about discipline. We need to talk about restorative justice. Yeah. We had black teachers coming, let's talk about representation. And so those voices helped to shape the, the framework that we use. And so part of our work is like bringing those voices together, making sure they're powerful and aligned and then making sure that the, the leadership of that group, of those students, is able to navigate the policy apparatus that exists in New York City, navigate the politics of, of integration. And so that's kind of the role I play, is helping them figure out who they need to hassle, yeah. when they need to hassle that person, and how, really, how we need to do it. Yeah, so.
0: but it's incredible how much traction we, we've been seeing these groups making. They're making all these right. uh, big splashes in the news, you know, the education news around the city. Right. It's really amazing. Um, and I'm just curious about um, the involvement of students with disabilities in that work. Do yeah. you find that there are students with disabilities? Yeah, I
1: mean, so we, we, we're not necessarily kind of having students, uh, you know, raise their hand if they have an IEP. but
0: self right? Yeah, what, yeah so
1: part of what we've done is try to ensure that um, our space is, is inclusive and welcoming and accessible as possible. So True. we're very committed to building welcoming spaces and i think mm-hmm. that has created the conditions for young people who do experience any level of vulnerabilities um, particularly disabilities to come and say hey like i have an iep i want to make sure this conversation you know this my priority is elevated in the conversation yeah. i don't think we've done a perfect job at it but what we've done is really try to build connections with organizations like include um like you know like advocates for children to ensure yeah. that either we're bringing young people who are representing the community into our space um, or at a a, a minimum that anything we're writing any policy we're thinking about has had the eyes of of the experts um, who think about this and so you know it's not a perfect science at this moment and we're constantly trying to make sure that um, you know all students feel represented in our space Um, and you know that's that's I think that's the intention
0: okay yeah that's great Thank you for that, Matt. Um, and I'm just curious in terms of your your main learnings. I mean, <laughs> there's so much you've clearly learned. You're, you literally breathe this stuff and it's, right. it's so exhilarating just being able to have this conversation. Um, but if, if you could just zoom out a bit, what, what, what would you say your main learnings have been from all of this advocacy work for integration?
1: Yeah, so I mean, I would say a couple things. First, um, intergenerational collaboration you know, mm. between adults, young people, and even elders, I think is is critical, not just for integration, but for any social justice work, and so Absolutely. being able to work with young people, I think, has illuminated me in, in, in tremendous ways, yeah. and, it's, and helping be, be a bridge between elders and young people has been really exciting, so that intergenerational collaboration is necessary, um, but ensuring youth are in the lead of that, um, I think is really important. Um, And so making sure that we're elevating the voices of young people. Um, The other side of that, I would say, is that as adult advocates and uh, adults, um, we need to make sure that we are really shifting our mindsets to ensure that we're being more inclusive inclusive of young people. And, you know, maybe, you know, this doesn't mean that adults don't have a responsibility. We have a tremendous responsibility. Mm -hmm. But noticing when our voice is being privileged over a young person's voice i think is important um but then using our adult privileges to enter spaces to get to get space yeah, to absolutely. access resources yeah um that stuff is super important to me and then like to, you know, like that's the organizing stuff i think the like building of like this policy is like making sure that communities and and you know, again those directly impacted are, are in the driver's seat of of change um and then you know i think entering in conversations with a with the mindset willing to listen and learn and and to kind of call people in instead of calling people out
0: yeah um, I'm going to challenge anyone who is listening to this podcast to listen to it multiple times and really hear all the lessons you could possibly learn, because you truly um, exemplify just the policy and the organizing and the facilitating work. It's, it's so, so important. Thanks, I, This man. has been so instructive for me. I really mean that. It's my pleasure. Um, and just as we're rounding things out, I, I want to c- connect the work a little bit back to, a little bit more back to uh, the problem of exclusion and segregation that... Students with disabilities and their parents feel, right? So, students with disabilities in restrictive settings, um, those separate from larger general general education or inclusion classrooms, and families of these students all can feel like these concerns um, of theirs, you know, about just not. Feeling like they're included in school or included in class, um, or or maybe their academic needs and their strengths just aren't really being privileged in the same way, right? And so they may feel that um, these concerns are somewhat of an afterthought in the engagement processes around large-scale and systemic school reform. And I know that that's not intentional on your part. Far be it, you know, far far from that. Um, and as I kind of think through maybe some some future things to consider um, on behalf of students with disabilities, I first want to start. Um, by recounting those facts, those statistics I mentioned earlier, right? So we're thinking about 20% of New York City's public school students are students with disabilities. Students of color make up 80% of the population of students with disabilities. And 30% of those 200,000 students with disabilities spend over half of their day, actually 60% of their day or more, in settings separate from um, general education. So first, before I kind of go into some thoughts I'd been thinking about, uh, I just want to build off of what you've already been saying about youth-led groups and, and kind of challenging you guys to, to move forward with it. So um, you seem very open to continue to, to have that space opened um, to students with disabilities. So as you're moving forward, you know, how, how might you try to, to involve students and families a bit more in these, these larger scale conversations and privilege some of those concerns where they feel like they're isolated within their school?
1: Yeah, I mean, just as I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking about the space um, that we host our meetings in. And so I, mm-hmm. I'm sitting here because I have a fractured ankle, and so I'm wearing a boot. Yeah. Um, and so the last two weeks, by no means is any in any way re- reflective of what people with physical disabilities experience. Sure. But I have experienced what, what walking to this place, which is in Chelsea, which is a bit far from the train. And yeah. so I've like skipped a couple meetings because yeah. I'm like, okay... I'm not walking half yeah. a mile to with this boot on. You're so, almost on the
0: West Side Highway, then, right, right? Right. And <laughs> yeah, so I think
1: part of it is, is you know, one thing is like we create an accessible space and inclusive space, but is it, it really accessible to everyone? And so, yeah. um, you know, we're going to continue meeting in our space because that's where we got to meet. But I think the other side of that is we actually need to go out and mm-hmm. and, and go to people. And so I think part of you know our strategy actually that that this year has been is really you know host our meetings. Let's do that. Do, do all the organizing work we do, but then make sure we're doing work in community with community. And so um, that part of that community is is the community of folks with disabilities. And so, um, you know, I think being more intentional in, in our kind of outreach and engagement with different youth groups and organizations to ensure that we're coming to folks instead of yeah. asking them to come to us, like that's important to me. Um, but then again, I think really, um, thinking through with our, with our young leaders and identifying leaders uh, who, who, who identify students with disabilities on, on, on the best ways that we can um, make our space more accessible, make, make our space more welcoming, and, and make students feel safe to talk about um, you know, their, their personal experience and how that, that manifests in a segregated experience.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's really well said. Um, and, and just to add on to that, right, this is a, a big question, right, promoting the membership of students with IEPs, students with disabilities in larger conversations and advocacy around integration. Um, I mean, what you just mentioned are great starting points uh, for for me, and again, far be it for me to to speak um, for students with disabilities. I was simply a special education teacher in the past, and, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about concerns that families and students are are facing just through the work that we do here at Include. Uh, but it also seems like the answer moving forward of, of, of more inclusion and involvement of, of youth and families in these conversations um, also requires um, allowing them to, to define what integration, inclusion, and right. equity look like for students with disabilities. But students with disabilities, of course, are across a wide variety of settings and identity groups, right? right? So it's going to look different depending on where you go to school, what type of classroom you're in, right? And mapping out what's similar and in, in, in different in, in terms of this kind of intra party you know among students with disabilities, how this varies within um, that, that group of, of students who identify that way um, and from the, the larger five Rs framework right and, and platform for, for integration that's really empowering you know, advocates and, and students and families today. Right, so if, as we're thinking about intentionally integrated settings, we no doubt want to make sure that schools have a proportional balance of students with IEPs, right? And we've seen, you've already mentioned that the screened and specialized schools have very, very disproportionately right. no numbers by and large, right? But we also want to make sure that there's meaningful inclusion of students with disabilities right. who attend classes in in smaller settings, and you know, it, it could be very, um, very important for the student to be in that smaller setting because they're more uh, available to learn academically or behaviorally you know something requires them to be in that setting for part of the day but they shouldn't just remain there all day absolutely Um, so we need to think about and and not just again not just kind of token hey let's all come together but real Mm -hmm. meaningful um, inclusion across schools and i also could imagine the work of students with disabilities as stakeholders within this five r's framework Um, a little bit more, you know, thinking about um, how to emphasize the the population of students with disabilities um, under this race and enrollment framework. I know you guys already have that there, but as we're kind of um, hearing more from that community of students themselves, there could even be uh, some some insight that we haven't thought
1: of. Yeah, of course. I mean, I think for us, it's really having a framework and then making sure that that is constantly being, is open to flexibility. And I think that's, you know, I think you were just talking a little bit about um, you know, the the challenges that that you know schools are gonna need to face to to serve the needs of all students. And and one thing I, I've just think been thinking a lot about is that, you know, schools operate in a way that requires students to kind of assimilate to schools and, yeah. and one, one thing we're really committed to is ensuring that schools are assimilating to young people. Yeah. So schools yeah. are responsive. Uh, To the needs that young people bring into the schools and so just because you go to this particular school that has this particular focus doesn't mean you can't go there if you have a disability or you have uh, a language diversity need so I think it's really about ensuring that all of our schools are accountable for all of our kids and that's that's kind of the commitment we're trying to bring forth
0: yeah hundred percent and that also makes me think of you know, you, you were talking about relationships and culturally responsive um, curricula, right? right. Culturally responsive education. We often think about that in terms of you know affirming racial identity right. or ethnic identity, right. which is no doubt super crucial because <clears throat> those affirmations weren't there in the past. Sure. Um, but also i um, thinking about disability awareness and disability studies. I mean, for me, um, as someone who, who grew up without a disability, I, I saw students who, who had disabilities, you know, visible disabilities, and my mom was a former special ed teacher. So I at least internalized, you know, that... I don't need to be thinking about, um, you you know, I don't need to be othering people in in, in this way. You know, disability is a kind of normal aspect of life. It affects so many of us and and families and people in our community. Uh, But I think building that awareness among all student bodies while they're in school is really crucial. I certainly could have benefited from that. You know, I could have taken a class in college on disability studies, but it shouldn't just be available in college. It needs to be in our public schools. Right, um, So, those are just some thoughts right there and what this, you know, systemic change would look like at different school levels goes far beyond my knowledge base. That would be the episode of a future podcast that I don't think I could uh, host alone um, thinking about how this, how this looks across elementary, middle, and high school. Uh, but those are just some starting thoughts and we certainly want to make sure student leaders and, and family stakeholders are, are able to share their thoughts around those questions. Um, But I could keep talking all day, but we unfortunately have to wrap it up. (laughs) So I know we don't have the definitive answers about integration and inclusion from today's conversation, but clearly there's so much thoughtful, courageous, and exciting work that's happening around school integration today uh, that's headed by advocates like yourself, Matt, um, in New York City, students, families, and, and other groups. Uh, we're really looking forward to updating listeners and families generally on how school integration and the place of students with disabilities in this movement for meaningful integration moves forward Uh, and we really really thank you again Uh, such deep appreciation for you joining us to help us better understand the breadth and and depth of uh, today's new york city school integration movement matt um, thank you so much for sharing your insights. Yeah, thanks, for, thanks so much for having me. I Really, this is an exciting conversation. Yeah, it's absolutely our pleasure. And we want to thank all of you for tuning in for another fascinating conversation on Disability Inc. Take care.